Psalm chapter 40. We're looking at God's new thing. We've seen the seed of new life. The source of new life, the start of new life, and the seal of new life is the last sermon we looked at in this series a few weeks ago. And this morning, we look at the song of new life in Psalm chapter 40. And uh, certainly the psalmist is singing a song here, as it reads in verse 3, And he hath put a new song in my mouth. Uh, we've been created to sing. Now, I know we say the birds sing. <laughs> and uh, the scientists, as they uh, look at different animals, like the dolphins and things, they've got messages, the whales, they've got messages they uh, put to, toward each other. But we have been given the ability, humans have been given the ability to sing with many different messages. And the Bible tells us to do so, doesn't it? Nations have their national anthems. Towns have their musical bands. It seems they all have a band. Uh, we can go and, and play in that band. Uh, people have their favourite songs. They love to sing. In the Bible we find that <clears throat> the God of salvation and redemption is the God of song. And let's turn to the book of Job, chapter 38 and verse 7. One of the oldest writings of the Bible, the book of Job. Job chapter 38 and verse 7. When the Lord brought the universe into existence, listen to what happened. Well, verse 6, whereupon are its foundations fastened or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Interesting, isn't it? That back there, that there was singing related to creation. Now, all the sons of God. Interesting fact, isn't it? Man wasn't there. Well, it was only Adam and Eve that were created during creation. But the sons of God... And it says all of them. That even would have include, included this, uh, Lucifer, as Damien has said, that was singing. Maybe he hadn't fallen at that time. As that's the only indication I find, I think, in the Bible that he hadn't fallen when things were created. Some say that he fell before. Interesting looking at that. But they sang, even at creation. And we can, cannot forget the song that's over in the book of Exodus. Let's turn there to chapter 15. The people of Israel, the nation, sang as they were delivered from the hand of Pharaoh as they'd crossed the Red Sea, gone through the Red Sea, walls of water on both sides. They got out the other side. The Lord brought the water back in on the Egyptians that were assigned to cross. And we have the song that they sang at that time. Then sang Moses in verse 1, And the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spoke, saying, I will sing unto the Lord. And if you were at Murrindindi camp, you can start singing now. This is the part that they put just, that was in song at that time. For he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. Back a little bit further in verse or forward of 
a little. In verse 21, And Miriam, and Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. We do have an article. I have an article there of the wagon wheels they found in the sea <laughs> that are all crusted over with uh, shells and whatever shellfish and things that attach to them. But this is a song that they sang when they were delivered by the Lord from the bondage in Egypt. One day, when God's purposes of redemption are consummated, we are all going to sing. And we're going to sing the song of the Lamb. If you turn to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5. Verse 8, Revelation 5, verse 8, we read this. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of the odours, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open its seals, for thou wast slain. And hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And you can read on there that they said things also in verse 11 and 12. But they sang redemption having been accomplished in their lives. Um, so we have the 24 elders and the beasts singing. You have in Revelation Chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, the redeemed people singing. In chapter 19 of Revelation, verses 1 to 6, you have multiple people singing. In Revelation chapter 14, you have the 144,000 who have been slain are in heaven. They are singing for their, the, the praise to God for their redemption being finished, accomplished. They're in heaven. And so at the start of the Bible, at the end of the Bible, you have people singing. Uh, <clears throat> Christians are to sing. <laughs> so we see that our singing is an evidence of new life in Christ, salvation. The psalmist David could testify this. He had put a new song in my mouth. Remember before you were a Christian, it depends how old you were you, when you become a Christian, as to how many songs of the world you had in your mind. But when you become a Christian, there is a new song to sing. A lot of new songs to learn, isn't there? And remember learning those songs. And I pray that we go about, as Ephesians chapter 5 tells us, singing and making a joyful noise in our hearts unto the Lord. This is the will of God, right in the context there in Ephesians 5. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the ability to sing. Thank you for the ability to lift our voices in praise to our ever-loving and eternal God. I pray that we would do it often. And he loves, you love to hear the praises we sing from our hearts. May we make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the days of our life, especially from that point of salvation when we can thank you for all things that we have and, and we are told that we're going to have in eternity. Lord, we pray that even those that are not well today might be able to have a song in their hearts and on their lips 
for what you have done for them. And Lord, that they may repair and may be back among us shortly. And Lord, we do pray for those that are, are going from us to other places in Papua New Guinea, coming and going, Lord, that safety would be granted there in that place with the people that might be ministered to and be with Brother Crow and Lord strengthen his mortal body that he might be able to continue to the people that he loves there in New Guinea. Bless us now as we consider the thoughts from Psalm 40 we ask in Jesus name. Amen. <clears throat> if you follow along in the outline that's there in the bulletin you'll You'll be able to keep up with what, where we're at. This, we have, first of all, this, this new song speaks of a life of deliverance. He hath brought me also up out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay. Here we see in graphic terms what it means to be delivered from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. First of all, deliverance from the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? What does the Bible say we have to pay for if we do not become God's child in this life. We pay for it by death. And the book of Revelation speaks of it as being the second death. Eternal death. Eternal punishment. But here it's saying that we're delivered from a horrible pit. And literally it means a pit of noise. You ever been in a cave or in a very solid brick room? Huh. Murray High School Auditorium. <laughs> it's like a pit. If it had a, a rock top on it, it, it echoes, just echoes. And, and this is exactly what it means here. He's brought me up out of an echoing place where our sins are continually echoing in our heart. Our conscience is convicting us. He's brought me out of this pit. And this pit is so made to echo and resonate with our sins before we're saved. This is the pit that he is delivering us from. How graphically this illustrates the guilt that sin brings into our life. In Romans 6, 9, Death hath no more dominion over him who has confessed the Lord as his saviour. Death hath no more dominion. We do not and are not under sin anymore if we're saved. The wages of sin is death, says Romans 6.23. But in the middle of the verse it says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're in that pit before we're saved and the sins are constantly a reminder to us of our condemnation. But for the Christian, there is therefore, Romans 5 is it, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. This echoing of our sins, this repeating of our sins, this noise coming back to us from our conscience, we've been delivered from having trusted the Lord Jesus as our Saviour. And, you know, people can bring accusations against us. But Romans chapter 8 tells us, who shall bring an accusation? Who shall bring a declaration of guilty against the sons of God? Neither heaven nor, nor hell nor Satan nor anyone can bring an accusation because we are cleansed and we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Praise God that we have been delivered from death. 
And in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, it reads, He, the Lord, has the keys of death and of hell. We've been delivered from that. The condemnation is not upon us anymore. Praise God for that. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's turn there and see the time in which we were delivered. Ephesians chapter 2. For you, in verse 1, for you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Those who have not obeyed the gospel. Children of disobedience. Um, among whom we all had our conversation. Or our manner of life in times past. In the lust of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And of the mind. And were by, by nature the children of wrath. Even as others. Are you not thankful? I pray that you are. And that's why you can sing. You and I can sing as Christians. This new song of deliverance. Deliverance from the penalty of sin, which is eternal death. Deliverance, secondly, from the power of sin. He hath brought me up out of the miry clay. The power of sin. We are told, and uh, we may have seen or experienced, that in these pits was miry clay at the bottom that had built up over the years. It's all wet and uh, sloppy. <laughs> and imagine the pit. That's, that's there. It's like when Jeremiah was lowered into the pit when Nebuchadnezzar was coming down to capture Jerusalem and Jeremiah was saying, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, so they lowered him into the pit. And he was down in the pit, and when they lifted him up out of the pit, they had to put like blankets and sheets and things around him so it didn't peel his skin to lift him out of the pit that he was put into because he was telling the truth. You know, we can tell the truth today. We don't get put in a pit. But it was in a miry pit. He sunk into the mud. And his head was above it. And that's the only thing that kept him alive there. As they lowered a little food to him. And this is the picture of the pit that we were in as unsaved people. Sinking into the miry clay. And <clears throat> with the miry clay, if you've ever been in a position where you've been in that miry clay. What happens when you try to wriggle and struggle and get out of the miry clay go deeper <laughs> you sink deeper and deeper into the miry clay the more you struggle the more you go down and let's say that struggling is like trying to work our way to heaven the more you try to struggle to get out of the pit of the miry clay the deeper you go under and don't you feel for so many people in religions today that teach salvation by works? That's exactly what they're doing. They're struggling, they're wriggling, and the more they wriggle, the more they try, the harder they try, the deeper they sink. And they're like they've got their head up and trying to get their last breath before they go under. When all, it's by grace through faith that we're saved. What does it say in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. We're in the Catholic system. It's all of works. You know, faith, they say faith, but it's plus works. You can crawl up a, a mountainside on your hands and hurt yourself. You can whip yourself. You can pay uh, indulgences 
but all the time you're wriggling and squirming, the deeper you're going under. Isn't that where Luther got to? (laughs) He realized he's going under. There's something more to this. He said, that's why he said the book of James is a book of straw because it talks about working and, and, but that's when you're saved, not to be saved. And, and then he come to the book of Romans by faith, by faith. And that's what he emphasized. And he clutched onto that. But there's to be the balance of both, isn't there? By faith, we're saved. And by faith, we work for the Lord after we're saved. But the more he squirmed, the more he went down. And so it is with any religion. And I'm, I'm reminded, of course, I go back to bulldozers. <laughs> you, after, over years, you get to know when you're driving forward toward a gully or in toward a, a bit of a marsh, you, you, you feel, you sense the front's going down. Stop. <laughs> Stop immediately and back out slowly. <laughs> Don't give it a jerk because you break all the roots of the grass that are holding you up. But if you go in, you're done for. In fact, if you try to get it out by hand, and there's methods to do it, it'll take you over a day to get it out. Or another machine is the best way. (laughs) But you get in there, and I remember sitting on one, I was filling an old dam in, putting the dirt out, putting the dirt out, and then I stopped, but I was still moving. And I was sitting on a pad that was going right down, just sliding off down into the dam. You know, a person, what, 80 kilograms or so, you sink. But 20,000 kilograms of weight, you just go down. And it sucks you under. It, it literally drowns the machine and you in it, with, on it. From in the miry clay. And folks, that's the picture of people that are trying to get to heaven on their own wits, in their, with their own works, they're not going to get there. They're not going to get there. And so, praise God, we have a song. We're delivered from the power of sin. We're delivered from the penalty of sin. And we're delivered from the presence of sin one glorious day. Won't it be a glorious day? Glorious day when we see our Savior face to face. We sing the song face to face. We will behold him face to face to see the Savior at his glorious appearing. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through to 5. And we all look forward to that day when we're delivered from the very presence of sin. Oh, praise God for the deliverance from the penalty, from the power. But one day from the presence of sin, we'll no longer be tempted anymore. No longer Submit to the power of sin that comes rushing upon us. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope, a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation and understanding that we are saved when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But this salvation is talking about the glorious deliverance when we're delivered from the presence of sin to be revealed in the last time. In this ye greatly rejoice. We have a reason to sing. 
How many of our songs are about the future, about the deliverance from this wicked world? Many, many of them if you look at them. If need be, Peter said, you're in heaviness through manifold trials right now. But the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory when? At the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we will be delivered from the presence of sin. That is a blessed hope, isn't it? (laughs) That is what Titus reads in 2 and verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And there's another one in 1 John 3, 2 and 3. And 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. The blessed hope, the glorious appearance. Delivered from the presence of sin. Secondly... We look at this new song that we have speaks of a life of direction. Back in Psalm 40, we'll only be looking at three verses, don't worry. (laughs) I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined his ear to me. He heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And what did he do then? (laughs) Set my feet on a rock. This speaks of a life of direction. He established my goings. The godless are always described as lost in scripture. They don't know where they came from, why they're here, nor where they're going. But it's quite different for the Christian, for the saint, isn't it? He knows where he come from, where he stands, and where he's going. He has direction in life. You know, unsaved people, if this is all there is down here, they, they, they want to go this way, they want to go that way, they, they're trying to find purpose in life. But the Christian's got purpose in Christ. The Christian's position in Christ. He has set my feet upon a rock. <laughs> On the rock. Now, Brother John stole the thunder from this last Sunday evening. Was it last Sunday evening? Might have been two ago. (laughs) But he was speaking about the rock. The rock. He's the rock of our salvation. The Lord liveth and blessed be my rock and exalted be the rock of my salvation. 2 Samuel 22, 47 tells us that. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. He is my rock. On him we've been taken from the Myra clay and set our feet on the rock. He's the rock of stability. And this is spoken of in Matthew chapter 7 in a parable where the Lord Jesus said there's two men and they built a house. One was foolish and one was wise. One built upon the sand and he was the foolish one. When the storms come and beat and blew upon the house, it fell and great was the fall of it. But the wise man built his house upon the rock, the Lord Jesus, the rock of stability. The rock of security, Psalm 94, verse 22. The Lord is my defense and my God is the rock of my refuge. We go to him when trouble comes. He's the rock of our security. And if you want to know about the security of the believer, go to Romans chapter 8 in the last half of that book. Of that chapter will tell you about security we have. He's a rock of shelter. In Psalm 61, 2 and 3, it reads... From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. 
for there has been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. A rock of shelter, a rock of strength in Psalm 31. I'm in Psalm, Psalm 31 and verse 2 and 3. It reads, Bow down thine ear to me, deliver me speedily, for thou art my strong rock, for a house of defence to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress, therefore for thy name's sake lead me and guide me. He's the rock of strength. And Ephesians tells us that we get strength from the Lord to do what he bids us to do in our life as Christians. And he's a sustaining rock. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, And did all drink of the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that, was, that followed them, and that rock was who, or is, was Christ. He sustains us through the water of the word of life as we read and, and drink of that. And he also, in Matthew 21 and verse 44, is the smiting rock. As it was ministered there a few Sunday nights ago, and whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will what? Grind him to, to powder. If you're not on the rock, the rock will be on you. And the rock will grind to powder. The rock of Daniel's um, vision there where it was cast at the, all the empires of the world and decimated them. The stone, the rock of ages, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the rock? Are your feet on the rock? Have you established your goings or have your goings been established on the Lord Jesus, the rock? He brought me out of the horrible pit, the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. And then it says, established my goings. <laughs> Delivered we have been from these terrible positions. He has set my feet on the rock. The Christian's progression in Christ established our goings. It's good, the Bible says, that the heart be established. <laughs> Long before the foundation of the worlds were laid, or the world was laid, the God of foreknowledge knew the direction of our lives and that they would take. One of the most exciting things about the Christian experience is to find, follow, and finish the walk and pathway God has for us, a pathway of obedience, to find it. Tony spoke about in the adult class this morning, focusing on God. How do we live holy lives? Focus on God. How do we focus on God? By getting into the word of God. That's the revelation we have that tells us all about God, his purposes, his plans. He wants us to know what his will is and to find it and to do it but we have to get to know the Lord don't we whom to know is life eternal we have to find God in salvation that's the first thing because until well God finds us really he picks us up out of the miry clay and he's there all the time. As Paul said to those on Mars Hill, he's not far from every one of us. 
He's right there ready for anyone who wants to respond in obedience to the gospel of salvation. Yes, find, he finds us. And to follow, to be sanctified, to serve the Lord. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. We are really referring to Ephesians a lot and our brother Tony was in there this morning in Ephesians. Wonderful book, Ephesians chapter 1. And these first verses of this first chapter are a real blessing. <laughs> blessed be the God, in verse 3, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Blessed be God who has chosen us. This choosing is based on his foreknowledge. Keep that in mind. Don't forget it. Otherwise you can get all muddled up. Really muddled up. Whole denominations are muddled up. Because I don't get that God knew the choices we'd make and he could choose us on the basis of the choices that come in our life when we're given the opportunity. Peter tells us that that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace through which he had made us accepted in the beloved. See that progression as we're saved, as we're sanctified, and as we begin to serve the Lord, getting to know him in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins and the riches to the riches of his grace, in which he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And you could read on, we could read on, about the wonderful things that are contained there for the Christian. This progression in the Christian life isn't there. There is growth that needs to happen. Grow in him. Grow up in him, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. In 1 Peter 2, 2, As newborn babes did desire the sincere milk of the word that ye might grow by it. He's established our goings. We're growing in him. We're moving forward, upward, closer, more holy, more like the Lord in our daily life. 2 Peter three eighteen. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so this song that we sing speaks of a life of direction. We're new position, we've got a new position in Christ and we're progressing in Christ. And thirdly, this new song speaks of the life of devotion, a life of devotion. He had put a new song in my mouth, even praised to our God. Back there in Psalm chapter 40 and verse 1. And verse 4. And verse 3, even praise unto our God, many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. This is the climatic thought in the whole progression of ideas that David shares with us. Deliverance leads to direction and direction leads to devotion. When we know our salvation in Christ as well as our standing in Christ, then and only then can we fully express our song 
in Christ because we, we, we've, we understand what has transpired. We understand what's happened to us. We understand where we're going. Salvation, standing and song. God made us to love him. And this response finds expression in the devotion of worship as we have it in verse 3 in the first part. Put a new song in my mouth. Now, who's, who in the congregation this morning has ever written a song? John. Catherine. You didn't put your hand up. I remember that. <laughs> Musically minded people. Uh, it concerns me that we don't see a whole lot of good hymns, songs being produced today. Is that a picture of where the church is at? Where people are at? Or, or do we say... They've written everything. I can't. <laughs> I got nothing to write about. They stole the thunder 200 years ago, <laughs> 300 years ago. But if God has given us salvation and He's taking through us us through particular experiences in our life that others may not have been through, there might be an opportunity for you to write a song. But you're not going to use contemporary music in this church <laughs> to back the song. <laughs> And this, praise the Lord. <laughs> and it needs to be doctrinally correct. <laughs> needs to be from the heart. Needs to be praise to God. This psalmist wrote these, the, this song because of his realization of what had happened in his life. And are we not saved? Have we not been delivered? Uh, we live in a different century. We live, we live in a different age. There's all this technology that we have. Surely the songs, and yes, based in scripture, based in right doctrine, and, and please make it, make it poetic. <laughs> so you have to be a poet, a musician, a um, theologian. <laughs> no, as the Lord moves in your heart, you know, and, and, and we'll have someone edit it. <laughs> to be sure it's those things as, as it comes forward uh, I, you know original thinking from the heart as God has done wonderful things for you and for I the devotion of worship man's chief end it's been said is to glorify God and enjoy, enjoy him forever and if we've not learnt to sing down here you know where we're going to have to learn <laughs> when we get to heaven because the saints as we saw when we started are singing a great activity of worship. More is said in the Bible about worship than about service. God is more interested in what we are, this is where Tony, I think, concluded, than in what we do. For if we try to do that, which, which when we, we are not what we should be, then the service is not going to be right. God wants us in a right relationship with him so that we might be able to do that which is pleasing to him. Remember old Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament? He came back and uh, what prophet? Samuel, is it? Said, said, what meaneth the bleating of the sheep? Oh, well, Saul said, I've brought them because they're going to be for sacrifice. <laughs> and what was the reply of the prophet? 
God has has God a greater delight in offering and sacrifice than in obeying the word of the Lord? What we are, God's interested in that. Not interested in all the sacrifices. We can bring multitudes of sacrifices, but if, if we are not what we should be, <coughs> then the blessing of the Lord is not upon them. Uh, <coughs> let's turn to well, Psalm 40, verse 6 and 8. <coughs> Tim might give me a glass of water. I got the tickle. <clears throat> Thank you. Sac- verse six through to way. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. See what he's saying here. <clears throat> You've not desired these sacrifice and offerings. And these lambs and these turtle doves and these bullocks. Mine ears has op- thou opened burnt offering and sin offering. Thou hast not required. God's not after that. Then he said, Lo, I come in the volume of thy book. It is written of me. Thank you. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within where? My heart. This is what God is concerned about, our heart. And Tony emphasized that this morning. Our heart and where it is with the Lord. Get that right and then offer the offerings of sacrifice. Then do the service of the Lord. But get the heart right first. Get the worship aspect right first. There must be obedience of the heart. In Proverbs 21.3 we read, To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. If we turn to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. We read down through to verse 19. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of the beast. I delight, delight not in the blood of bullocks and of lambs and of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts, bring no more vain obla- oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. New moons and Sabbaths and calling of assemblies I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. They are trouble. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide my my eyes from you. Yea, when I ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. God is concerned about the heart. That's what he's telling Israel in these verses in Isaiah. And Isaiah is one of the prophets to the early 
to the people in the northern kingdoms, or the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, that were going to go into captivity. And Isaiah is pleading with them, get your worship right. Get yourselves right that you might worship right. Don't bring any more sacrifices. Forget those. Get right with God first. And then God will bless. Turn with me to Isaiah, uh, Psalm Psalm 51 and verse 15. <clears throat> when we get there, you'll realize uh, you know this one pretty well. Psalm 51 and verse 15. <clears throat> Remember, David has sinned with Bathsheba. He's all out of sorts with the Lord. His heart is troubling, troubling him. He's in the noisy pit. The echoing sound of his sin is haunting him. And uh, <clears throat> he's, he's fronted by the prophet and told to get things right. And he does. And verse 15, we read, O Lord, open thou my lips, that my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. If there's something I could give to get rid of this noise, I would. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite what? Heart. This is the heart of the matter. Get right with God. Thou wilt not despise, he said, to do good in do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. This is what God wants in our life. The devotion of worship to him, and then the lips will praise our lips will praise him. And a devotion not only of worship, but back there in Psalm forty verse three. He puts a new song on my mouth, even praise to our God. When I'm walking right with him, many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Devotion, not only of worship, but of witness. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. People notice, people see there is a difference. Where there is worship, there is witness too. Where there is true worshiping the Lord. We have people today in churches everywhere they have that so-called worship leader dancing on the stage dressed inappropriately and they say they're worshipping God and it's not worshipping God they're up there performing not presenting the truth many are not hearing and they're not trusting in the Lord they say they've got Look at the size. Look at you. You're small. We've, we've been told here, unless we change our music quite a few times by different people outside, unless you change your music, you're going to go nowhere. Well, praise the Lord that we're going to stick with what is truth, what is right. Not go where they go to get a crowd. Bigness is not blessing. Read First Timothy chapter 6. Bigness is not blessing. They say, we've got all this and we've done all this. Well, you've got to front God one day and we've got to answer for what we've done and how we've done it and with what heart we've done it. Oh, that's a scary thing, isn't it? To stand before Almighty God who can see right through us. We're mostly air anyway. <laughs> if you're here on Wednesday night... <clears throat> with the molecules and the atoms that are in our body and that we're made up of. You know, the, the atom is like oh, the sun and which was it Pluto. 
and, and that's the neutrons out there, and it's all space in between. We're 99.9 .9 with nine, after the decimal point, 9999, space. That's what our body's made up of, you know. It doesn't feel like that, but that's what the scientists tell us. And I say it gives new, gives new meaning <laughs> to being airhead in that you've got a lot of space, <laughs> a lot of air in there. But God knows our being and he sees right through us. Nothing can be hidden from the Lord in our worship of him, in our service for him. You know, this is what made the early church so distinctive and effective. They were right with God. And God worked through them in a miraculous way because they were right with God. Doesn't that sort of say something to us today? Are we walking right with God or are we so influenced by our culture and by the stuff that we have that we're not walking with God as we should? We're not worshipping God as we should. We're not witnessing for God as we should. Acts 4.13 says of these early Christians, now when they saw the, the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they, had, they were unlearned and ignorant men and they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus and Jesus had been, was with them. And they took knowledge of that and they had a witness then. Even these hard-hearted people that had just crucified the Lord took knowledge of the apostles that there was a difference in these blokes. They were not the old fishermen they once used to. They were not the cursing Peter that he once was when he denied the Lord. He had changed. Do people notice a change? Do people know the song that you have? Do they hear the song that you have? Or do we sing the songs of the world? <laughs> I like what was said of the, the captives in, the, in Babylon, the Jewish captives in Babylon, the Babylonians said, sing us a song of Zion. <laughs> and they said, how can we when we're not back in Jerusalem? And how can the Christians sing a song of Zion when we're not right with the Lord? <laughs> they hung their harps on the willows along the Euphrates River, it says. And we're in the world, we're in, out there in a place that is strange, and when we've got that in our hearts, then we can't sing the songs that we should to the Lord. <clears throat> the question arises, how this song can begin? Well, David gives the answer back in verse 1 of chapter 40 of Psalm, I waited patiently for the Lord. <laughs> Literally, the Hebrew is waiting, I waited for the Lord and inclined unto me and heard my cry. Wait upon the Lord. There must be submission. I waited until we stop struggling and writhing and going down in the miry pit and start trusting and resting in the Lord. God won't, won't hear our cry to do what we bid him to do. As long as we think we can save ourselves from the guilt and penalty and grip of sin, we are doomed to be defeated and destroyed. Wait on the Lord. He gives us salvation as we call upon him, does he not? I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. If, if the Lord can create the universe with a spoken word in six days, what can he do through a saint that's committed to him? right with him, walking with him, right inside, as Tony mentioned this morning. 
wait on the Lord, suggest utter submission to his saviourhood and his sovereignty. So there is submission and there is petition. He heard my cry and were assured that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord in Romans 10.3 shall be saved. Romans 10.13 Will you cry right now and know this song of deliverance, this song of direction, and this song of devotion? This is the song of new life that the psalmist is speaking about. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. <coughs> for your word that speak to, speaks to us by your spirit. Our Lord, if there's an unsaved soul here today, might they turn to you in salvation as they're wriggling and trying and trying harder and harder to, to get to heaven. They need to stop trying and start trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us Christians, if we don't seem to be getting victory in our Christian life, we have no song in our hearts, a new song given to us. Maybe the sin in the camp. And we need just to humble ourselves, stop trying to please God by our works and start humbly confessing our sin before the Almighty God and he can work for his glory and his praise in our life. Minister to us. And may there be a song that comes from the service this morning. Ask in Jesus' name. Amen.